So let's just open up with this. Uh, Bono from U2 says, the wounds that loss opened up in my life became this void that I filled with beauty. I made that up, he didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> but I did say that so you could text Derek and let him know that I dropped a Bono quote in this sermon. So go ahead and do that. And you can mark that off of your ACC bingo card and we're all good to go. I mean, if you don't know me, my name is Ryan Snyder uh, and I'm filling the pulpit for our pastor, Derek, who says he's at a conference in New York City, which just so happened also is the same time as Taylor Swift's concerts in Atlanta, which you know is his biggest musical influence. (laughs) Sorry, that's all I'll say about Derek today. I'm kidding, but today is all about how our wounds can be made beautiful and heal the world. Let us pray. Gracious God, to send your Holy Spirit on us gathered here that you might speak through me, if necessary, in spite of me, and always beyond me, that your word will be heard by your people on this day. Amen. So put up that Banksy piece. So most of you have probably seen this Banksy piece before. Um, Banksy, if you don't know who he is, he's this anonymous street artist. Um, I like to think of him almost like the anti-Batman, who is this masked vigilante who's fighting crime with cans of spray paint. But this particular piece, uh, Love is in the Air, appeared in Bethlehem shortly after the construction of the Western Wall between Israel and Palestine, right? And Banksy had long been active in that area, trying to draw attention to this militarism, this violence, this hatred in the area. There is no greater canvas to scandalize hatred with beauty. And so Banksy operates in this long tradition that believes that art has the capacity to challenge the status quo. It can make us think twice about the values and the norms that go unchecked. So on first glance, you look at a piece like this and you're like, oh, it's just another protester. Backward cap on, mask covering the bottom half of his face, hurling a Molotov cocktail. Then you look again, right? And you're like, oh, this guy's not throwing a bomb. He's throwing a bouquet of flowers. That's absurd. Who throws a bouquet of flowers during war? But then you might pause a third time, and then you say, well, maybe that's not absurd. You know, what's absurd is to throw bombs in a world with flowers. And so Banksy helps us to see that the answer to more bombs is not more bombs, just like the answer to hatred cannot be more hatred, but we answer the ugliness of the world with great beauty. We answer the darkness in our hearts with this great light. It's a perfect piece for our text today from from 1 Peter. Um, And especially as we enter and continue into this sermon series on what does it mean to be a resurrection people? How are we a people who are shaped by this death and resurrection from Christ? And Derek has walked us through being a people of hope, being a people of love. And finally today we talk about what does it mean to be a people who suffer? And how do we respond to the suffering in our lives? And this is the way that Peter puts it. That they hurled their insults at him, being Jesus, but he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. He suffered, he threw flowers. There on the cross. And like, this is not natural, is it? I mean, what's natural in our lives is payback, eye for an eye, a grenade for a grenade. I mean, go ahead, think about a time when someone wounded you. Like, really? Wounded you? Could be physical, could be emotional, could be a broken heart. 
Think of that person and what you would like to do to that person. I mean, I have these people in my life and I daydream about them getting hurt constantly. Like getting their due. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. And I'll do it worse. I will go all cat of Monte Cristo on you if I have to. And Jesus says, forgive your enemies. And what I found is it's so much easier to forgive your enemies when they're like laying at your feet. It's easy for wounders to become wounders. It's easy for hurt people to continue to hurt people. But we are called to arm ourselves with flowers and not bombs. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God, says Peter. Now, it's worth mentioning that this is also the kind of text that Friedrich Nietzsche would rail against. Um, Nietzsche, we like to think of him as this great enemy of the Christian church, if you've heard him talked about. I like to think of him as a friend, um, and this is why he tells us the truth. Aristotle says that the enemy of friendship, or the opposite of friendship, is flattery. But a friend is someone who tells you the truth. And Nietzsche, like, for better or worse, always tells the truth about what he thinks of Christians, and that's sort of a good thing. But anyway, Nietzsche's like, these Christians, they're ridiculous. That they're living these weak and poor and miserable lives. But not only that, they've created this God to make them feel better about it. And they've made weakness into this virtue like it's something good. Why not rise above your suffering? Exert your will to power. Become someone who is powerful in your life. I mean, think of an animal who's just barely scraping by in the woods. This animal doesn't get a wave of satisfaction because it's merely surviving. It tries to improve its circumstances. It exerts its will to power to become big, powerful. Why not do the same? Why not rise above? Otherwise, you just sentence yourself to this entire existence of suffering. And I'm like, yeah, he's got kind of a point, right? One of the questions that sort of bothers me, I won't say it keeps me up at night because I'm not that empathetic, if I'm honest. But the question that bothers me is what do you tell the Ukrainian Christians? What do you tell the people who are woken up to sirens? That every day on their way to work, they pass this rubble. And they live in constant fear that their loved ones could be taken away through this violence and hatred. You say, that's good? That's a commendable thing to just endure your suffering? This is why some uh, liberation theologians have pushed back against this text hard, like black theologians and feminist theologians. We're supposed to indiscriminately just accept our suffering? That's a convenient way to keep us in chains. Exert your will to power. You know, and to those people, I'm not sure what to say. I can't give you an answer, but it's worth thinking about, right? Um, Peter is also talking in a completely different context, and I think that's also worth mentioning. That as Derek has taught us that this text is taking place in this very early church, a persecuted church, and it's this small sect of new converts to Judaism. And they are exiles, and they are illegal aliens, and they have no power whatsoever. They have no idea that they can ever rise above the powers that be, a persecuted minority. And so Peter's writing to them saying, well, how do you live as a persecuted minority? 
How do you conduct yourselves now? In fact, that word conduct is important in Peter. It's used here more than in any other text of the New Testament. How do you live now? You are a resurrection people. You've died and risen with Christ. How do you live? And one of the answers is, in a world of violence, you become nonviolent. As Jesus would say over and over again, my kingdom is not from this world. If it was, we'd be picking up our swords too. N.T. Wright riffs on this. He's like, yeah, if Jesus' kingdom is not from this world, it is for this world. It's a different way of being worldly. It's a different way of living in the world. So Peter says, if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to be wounded. Bear it patiently. Your woundedness can be a gift and a grace that heals the world. It's the kind of thing that Martin Luther King Jr. said all of the time, right? One of my favorite quotes. He says, throw us in jail, and as difficult as that is, we will still love you. Bomb our homes, threaten our children, and as difficult as that is, we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators and violence into our communities at the midnight hours and drag us to the wayside road and beat us and leave us half dead, and we will still love you. Rest assured, we will wear you down by our love. How do you say something like that? Who can say something like that? And someone who is shaped by the self-giving love of Christ, maybe. I think of St. Francis of Assisi, one of my favorite saints. Talk about this guy all the time. But Francis, if you don't know much about him, he had this super interesting life, right? So Francis began his life as a soldier, he was pretty good at it. Like, he had won some distinction as being a soldier. And he wasn't fighting. He was also this, like, fashion playboy. His, his dad was this wealthy cloth merchant. And so his dad was constantly going to France and back and bringing back all the latest fashions, right? So Francis was a cool soldier. And everyone looked at Francis and was like, oh, he's so cool. He's so popular. You're going to be like Francis. And then one day, he converted, having these experiences of Christ. And it culminated this one day when he walked into the town square and boldly renounced everything, like stripped down naked and walked away from everything he had achieved. Francis laid down his armor and picked up this tunic, just a simple robe. He took off his bejeweled, Taylor Swift reference, his bejeweled fancy belts and tied this little rope around his waist he laid down his sword, picked up this little book of poems, and that was Francis, right? So all this was taking place during the Crusades, and the Crusades, these battles that were just going on and on and on with no end in sight. And so Francis was like, I will join the army. And they're like, Francis, you're crazy. You used to be a soldier. You're not anymore. And Francis is like, no, I'm going to join the army. And he finds himself with the Christian army there at Damietta. And there at Damietta, the Christian army is based here, and there's like no man's land. And then there's the Arab army way over, the, way over yonder. And Francis is like, I will lead the charge. And they're like, you're crazy. And so Francis just walks across no man's land with his little book of poems and his little tunic and the rope tied around his waist, barefoot, no, no shoes on his feet. And he gets close to the Arab army and they all draw their sabers. They're ready to kill this guy. And they look at him. And they're like, he's not a threat. Like, he looks kind of funny. <laughs> and so they invite him into their army. And they take him to their sultan. 
Malik Al-Kamil. And Francis sits down with him, and he listens to him. He listens to what it's like to be a Muslim. And he listens to what it's like to be a Christian. And they share this conversation, right? And he brings peace to the area for a month. Not eternity. But for a month, there is no fighting. And it was like Francis was unarmed. And because he was unarmed, he was disarming. Francis was vulnerable. He was open to being wounded. And it's like that word vulnerable that's so important to us as Christians. And the word vulnerable is a derivative of this Latin word that means wound. To be vulnerable is to be open to be wounded. And part of what Peter says is God's kingdom does not arrive without wounds. That this openness to receiving suffering. Jesus is a wounded God, says Peter. And he's drawing here from the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. All these quotes, he's just plagiarizing Isaiah. He says, he himself bore our sins, by his wounds healed. We had gone astray like sheep. That's all Isaiah. To these people who are suffering, he says, does it help to know that your God has been wounded? Does it help? That Jesus was God with diaper rash. That Jesus was God who scraped his knee on the playground. That some traditions say he was bullied by other kids. A God who had bad breath, stomach viruses, indigestion, took his first breath, took his last breath, and there on the cross hung between these two criminals. Jesus is this patron saint of those who see life as unfair. The pessimists. Any pessimists in the house? It's me. (laughs) That's why I like Jesus, right? He proves my point. The good die young. No no good deed goes unpunished. The harder you try, the worse things get. That's Jesus' life. Look at his cross. The only person to never sin. Crucified, right? The most brutal concoction of death ever conceived by the Romans. But it's this God who enters into our pain, right? A God who did not retaliate. And did not command these bolts of lightning to rain down from heaven to kill his enemies. But in his wounds, he absorbs these cycles of violence. Refused to be sucked into these cycles of revenge. And so this crucified Messiah is not this legitimation of the system of terror, but it's the critique. And Jesus shows us what violence really is. That it's bankrupt. And I'm convinced, right, that this is the way that you eradicate hatred. Again, it could be Taylor Swift to keep going on this. But if it's not Taylor Swift, then I think it's Jesus, this wounded healer. So there's this legend that on Easter that the cross burst into flowers. It just bloomed on Easter morning. Let's be real, it probably didn't happen. But it'll preach, that God takes the instrument of crucifixion and turns it into this vehicle for salvation. And so that's the point, right? That your life is full of suffering and you have a 0.0% chance of getting out of life without suffering. And that much is obvious. I mean, Ernest Hemingway says, this world will break everyone. If you haven't been broken yet, you will. 
Something happens, we're disappointed, we hurt, we grieve, we lose exactly what we think will bring relief, and we find out it's not the answer, and we hurt, and we grieve some more. The world breaks everyone. You will be wounded. And Peter says, you have an even greater chance of being wounded if you follow this crucified Messiah. Like if you're not hurting, then you're probably not doing it right. And Peter says, you can let those wounds fester, grow bacteria, harden you to the world. And it can make you cynical. And that's natural. I mean, cynicism is not an achievement. The world bends us toward hatred. Or you can be hopeful and you can be loving and your wounds will always be a part of your story, but they don't have to be the conclusion of your story. That God can heal those and turn them into scars that bring life to other people. So when you feel trapped in your pain and your past and your own story like it's this tomb, God rolls that stone away. And resurrection is not just that your wounds will be healed, it's that your wounds can also heal others. Do you trust God with your broken places, your sorrows, your failures? Do you believe that God can take that and allow it to shine, to transfigure them and make them life-giving, to take what hurts and make it more beautiful than it ever was before? You know, if we can't be a community that endures suffering without violence, then how will the world know we're supposed to throw flowers and not bombs? And so our weekly reminder is that we gather around a table. And another Latin reference, but the word host is, is from this Latin word that means victim. The host of the table is Jesus, and we gather around this victim of violence who did not retaliate, who did not offer the world crucifixion for crucifixion, but absorbed the pain and brought healing to us. So we come to the table and we partake of Christ's body and blood with always the reminder that we are to become wounded healers too. Amen.